clubhouse. Doctor, in your practice, do you not tell patients that sometimes they so want to believe in their partners that they, they choose to unknow things, unsee things, that sometimes the truth of who and what they married gets distorted by the desperation of what they want to be married to. That, that, that's a real phenomenon, isn't it, Dr. Fraser? People being blind to the reality of their spouses. You tell your patients that all the time, don't you? I know who and what I marry. Yes. Yes, I think you do. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Do We Unnerve You? The Undoing Podcast. Tonight we're talking about the series season i don't know finale the bloody truth this episode as all the episodes was written by david e kelly and it was directed by suzanne beer oh caroline we have come to the (laughs) end of the road we Uh, certainly have so for people listening there's a couple of things that we should put here up front one hbo did not make this available to us for screeners so we watched with you guys in real time We are recording this right afterwards. You're getting a lot of hot takes. Because there's a lot to process in this episode, this is going to be more of a factual account of the things that happened in this episode. And then I would stay tuned because we're going to release next week a more thought-out, reasoned-out wrap-up on the season, on this episode, the things that got answered, and the things that the show raised and then did not answer. Part of that is, is there a season two on the horizon? Is there enough left unanswered or unsolved for a season two? So stay tuned for the more in-depth discussion of the episode uh, and the season as, and the show as a whole next week. But for right now, I think we should jump into Henry and the Dishwashing Hammer. <laughs> The dishwashing hammer. The hammer doesn't actually do the dishwashing, Mike. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know any child that does dishes like Henry does dishes. (laughs) Yeah, what a surprise. The entire storyline of this hammer was nothing what we thought. As we were going through this and trying to figure out exactly what happened, every little part my eyes were like, what? This is how the hammer was going down here? For every person that put themselves on the line to say the headmaster did it, Not even those people, I think, could imagine. The hammer was impossibly found buried in an outdoor fireplace in a beach house across the yard that Henry would stumble upon and then would think to run a dishwasher twice on without anyone asking or Grace. Apparently, she must have been on some kind of pills or something to be so checked out that she doesn't ask why her son is running the dishwasher twice at a house that they're not actually staying in or (laughs) or presumably eating enough things to warrant one dishwashing Right. let alone two. Right. What, did, did that pass the sniff test to you, that Henry would find the hammer that way? When they actually show the scene of him finding it in the the fire wall, like, where, of where the he has brick... To take, where he has to take out bricks to get to it? I... You guys, I'm sorry. Come on. I think that it was plausible that it could have been hidden at the beach house. That's mm-hmm. fine. I'll accept that. But what? Right. I mean, I just don't see that he would have done that. And you know what? I'm even surprised that he felt the need to handle it at all. Like, why not just add more bricks or something? Like, why do that? And you know what else? It really bugged me, the idea that NYPD was there with dogs. There were dogs on that premises when they came to get Jonathan. They were walking around the premises. He found the hammer before that, though. He found the hammer right after they arrived at the beach house. So this is before Jonathan revealed himself. But I hope they didn't. They didn't but the hammer. The but the hammer is at the beach house when they do that. So how? I mean, they showed up with a helicopter to grab him. It was a full, yeah. full on manhunt arrival there. They didn't rip that place down to the threads. I mean, it wasn't even that they missed it in the fireplace at that point. It was in the house. It was washed somewhere. Right. But they didn't. It's probably strip drying in the in the dishwasher. When when they raided the Manhattan house with the warrant they took every fucking thing out of that house 
And they, like, ripped it. Like, they were, like, ripping the cushions apart. Like, they yeah. were making, like, a fucking scene. But this one, wherever he hid the hammer in the house, presumably it began living in the violin case. He, he took his violin case to the beach house because he's going to be practicing music while awaiting his father's manhunt. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. But, yeah. uh, you know, again, hot takes here, you guys. So yeah. you're hearing a struggle. The struggle is completely real. Right. We, are, we are actively trying to tease this story out because there's so many parts that are like, when you really think about it, wait, what? Right. They had those giant German shepherds all over that property. I, yeah, I mean, I think I think in my headcanon, and again, this is something we will probably get into next week, but I like the headcanon more that Jonathan made him an accomplice and passed him the hammer somehow. Yes. That makes more sense to me, or left him a note saying, in the fireplace at the beach house, there is a package there I need you to deal with, or something like that. That all seems more plausible. I mean, the bag that it was wrapped in was the color of, like, the brick. It wasn't even like... Yes. I mean, I wear glasses now, but even with glasses, I don't know that I'm spotting that. It's not like it was glinting in the sunlight or anything. It was... I don't... Very odd. Very odd. But all of that being said, I like the idea that Henry didn't tell Grace about the hammer because he was afraid she would turn it over to the police and turn in their father. That seems real. That seems like very much like the relationship Henry has with his parents. And in the end, Grace uses information that she has to turn him in. So Henry's probably kind of dead on with what she would have done with the hammer. Absolutely. Especially at that point in the story when she, I mean, she called 911 on him, right? That came yeah. out during On the Stand. You know, everyone was reminded. The hammer really is the accelerant for the beginning part of this episode because it brings all of the players together. And I think maybe drive some final wedges in here. What, what's your take on how Jonathan handles the discovery of the hammer and his explanation or lack of explanation for its presence at the beach house? When he first just blurts out that it had to have been Fernando, essentially, mm -hmm. that he somehow found their beach house and put the murder weapon there, it was all so implausible and so stupid. I was like, what is happening? We were watching him start to unravel right in that second. But then to spin out and start blaming Henry, that really, really took me aback. Him blaming Henry was a final nail in the coffin not only for Grace, but I think for Henry also. I think it's the first time Henry really breaks with his father and drives kind of a in immovable wedge into that relationship that, in the end, neither Grace nor Henry recover from. You're a dad and you're also a son. The first time you look at your father or, or your son looks at you and says, fuck you. Yeah. Talk to me about that. That was a big moment. Yeah, I mean, especially with these two, with their relationships. I, we were live tweeting this, and one of, the, I mean, when they're during this scene, the tweet that I sent out were was, you know, sons and fathers, fathers and sons. Am I right? I mean, they're already complicated relationships, but these two, oddly, for a show that was presumably Grace's story, the father-son aspect was a major theme of this story. I think it was certainly a major theme of Jonathan. Uh, it was, it was the most reliable theme of Jonathan's story and I think for Henry too I mean everything all of Henry's motivations were driven by wanting his father's respect and love and also kind of going to the mattresses for his father kind of doing whatever needed to be done I mean he washed the hammer twice in the dishwasher he he kept the secret of seeing his father with Elena I guess we're not going to say Elena we're yeah. going to say Elena yeah uh, <laughs> I don't we paid know. a little closer attention you guys and apparently we're supposed to say Elena yes. not Elena Yes, so scratch that in all the previous podcasts. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, whether it's right or wrong, and I, I mean there was. We'll for just some, say it both ways. I bet. I, I wonder if they they maybe they changed the pronunciation because I saw even Twitter during this episode people were talking about the pronunciation of her name in this episode. So I wonder if they changed it. I don't know. I don't know. It's a kind of a late thing, but anyway, Elena. One more uh, unanswered question, Mike. I mean the up the upside of Jonathan spinning the tale about Fernando being the one who'd hit it. We got some of the first really sustained flashbacks of Jonathan with his time with Elena at the beach house, because apparently this is a place where they had their rendezvous. And I mean, there was some sexy dancing business there on the, on the little terrace at the beach house. So at least he gave us some eye candy, if nothing else. There was that. <laughs> I was wondering how many times they shot that scene for it to just end up being like a half a millisecond in the actual show. <laughs> 
I think Jonathan turning on Henry, and weird that he he goes to Henry and not say to Franklin or or someone else better. I think one really reveals a lot of Jonathan's character. It, it really is the beginning of him falling apart, which continues and escalates as the episode goes on, obviously to the big finish. But in the end, even Henry, even his closest, most real relationship he was not above throwing under the bus. And that says a lot about his character, I think, in the end. Absolutely. And he did it so convincingly. I mean, he didn't, he didn't just yell out, like, what, what if Henry did this? He was like, you know, you think you know your child. You really do. But do you really know them? Like, he went into a whole thing. Well, think about his mother, though. You, you don't mm. think he was maybe mm. parroting some things about what his mother may have said about him at some point. When you said fathers and sons, I was thinking, you know, we could probably expand this to parents and kids. Because, honestly, if you look at every relationship from Jonathan and his mom, I mean, his mom ultimately does him in, you know, with all the information she spills. And then, you know, here's what Grace is doing for her son. Like, it's just like a series of what did Franklin do for Grace? What did Grace do for Franklin? Like, there's just like these games being played of, you know, kids and parents and trying to make everybody happy and protect everyone. Let's move to the trial because I think all of the interesting payoffs that we're talking about start to but really materialize at the trial. Can I say as a segue between these two, what did you think of the way that Haley handled the hammer and the discovery of the hammer from your, you know, attorney background? Okay, well, let's be very clear. I am not a, a prosecutor or a criminal defense attorney. You would all probably be in jail if I represented you. It is not the <laughs> skill set I have. I can, I can represent you in any of your business dealings, but uh, if we go to court, it's probably because I'm defending myself. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, or defending Jacob. <laughs> Sorry. Um, pot, uh, available at Pod Clubhouse. I think Haley dances a really fine ethical line there. I did not have my handbook on professional ethics handy with me while watching this. Neither did Haley. But I don't think any of that holds up if the bar was to take a good look at what was brought forth in that conversation and, and how she advised them. I think she was being a little too cute by half with her. I'm not advising you. Uh, you know, even though it's the murder weapon. I don't know that that's the murder weapon. That's just a sculpting hammer. That that's was... been run through the dishwasher twice. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, and it has no evidentiary value. Oh, except for it's possibly the murder hammer, you know? Right. So, yeah, I, I think that was all kind of one of the many questionable things Haley does in this episode, which it was only the first of many ways in which I think the show betrayed the character of Haley Fitzgerald that they had set up in the previous episodes. Yeah, it was heartbreaking to to feel like, they, did, oh, you they know did, what? They, they did, did her, her dirty. dirty. That's what they did. They done they, did her dirty. They did. They did. And and right. that, that's that. You they know. made her look foolish. Yes. They and, made her look anything and, less than an a, amateur. Yeah. Anything less than a ravenous lioness, which is what she is. Yeah. In the same way that Stamper, after she eventually has that big takedown with Grace, with Grace's help, uh, sitting there with her smirky face, like she just won the gold medal in the Olympics. You only did that because it was handed to you on a planner. Mm -hmm. Like, you fucked this case. Like, because you had a circumstantial case. At the end of the day, it's very plausible Jonathan gets off with this murder. Yeah. With someone with Haley's skill, Jonathan gets off of this murder because it was handled too narrowly. It was handled. The, the police did not do a wide enough investigation. They settled on him too, too fast. There was too much lack of evidence. Honestly, there was. So it's very plausible that Jonathan gets off on this murder. Plus, he's very good on the stand later on in the episode. Uh, so all of that together, Stamper has nothing to be smirky about. She, if she's going to get a conviction here, which we actually don't see, we don't know what actually happens we at the end of the day. We don't know. It's, it's only by the grace of God that she, gets, that she gets that because Grace literally throws herself on a pyre uh, and, and you know shows herself to be a, kind of a duplicitous spouse on the stand later on. I was impressed with Haley bringing Miguel on the stand and yeah. having that entire conversation with him that revealed I think plenty of reasonable doubt about the relationship between Fernando and Elena and you know that it was very likely that they had been having a lot of problems and you know he he was a furious husband. He was a furious husband in the courtroom. He blows into the freaking conference room Furious. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has been a powder completely, cake. yeah, the entire time. So, you know, I, I think that they had laid the groundwork there for a reasonable doubt. And, you know, the fact that we don't see the verdict 
I know what we're talking about in the next podcast. It's interesting because the decision to call Miguel, which she does very dramatically, right? She's staring at Mendoza, which, what was she going to ask Mendoza about? I have no idea. What possibly could she have wanted to put him back on the stand again? Because even after she does the Miguel at the end of the day and they're going over the game plan, she says, do we put back, do we still go with Mendoza again? And she's like, no, no, I'm happy with where we are. And then Grace obviously comes in with her, you know, what about me? What about me? But before that, what does Haley think they're going to get out of Mendoza a second time? I thought... I thought she got everything you could possibly hope to get at Mendoza. Show the rushed investigation. That was a really effective cross-examination she does of him earlier on. So I was confused about what she thought she was going to get out of him as another witness. But calling Miguel on the fly is Haley calling an audible the way a predator, an apex predator, knows how to do it. The blood is in the water. She knows enough about the case. I think she has a good sense enough after having spoken to Fernando on the stand about the relationship. There was enough unanswered questions and enough enough of Fernando's anger there that she had a good idea that she only had two questions for Miguel. Both of them were going to get answered in a way that was only going to help her. Blows apart the alibi, which had already been kind of shit the bed, right? Because Fernando had said he was asleep, right? She had said Miguel was, my alibi was asleep. That was my alibi. Right. Which, which makes his alibi worthless and makes the cops look foolish for not investigating him as a suspect based on that alibi, which they treated as if it was gospel. And then the question of do mom and dad fight? And and she she doesn't badger him, which is great, because no one wants to root for the lawyer. No one wants to root for lawyers to begin with. No one especially wants to root for lawyers who are going to badger a quiet, sweet little boy on the stand. And Miguel, very sweet little boy. Yes. I love him so, so much. It was the most we heard him talk, I think, the entire series. I don't combined. think I've heard him sp- speak right? before that point. I think when he says his name and takes the oath that he's going to tell the truth, I think th- those lines alone were probably the most he had spoken uh, the entire series. You know, just his facial reactions, the fact that his father is in the courtroom and he's looking at his father for guidance, which is what you would expect a kid to do, and still can't muster up a lie about the lack of fighting and the fact that he breaks down that he was so scared about the, the, the potential of violence that he tells someone at school. Like, Miguel saw some shit. And, we, I mean, we're seeing, presumably, we're seeing Miguel's memory of his mother and father with hands near necks, mm-hmm. aggressively arguing. And which is an interesting move on Elena's part. She does, she does a very similar kind of choke move with Fernando that we see her actually later do with Jonathan. So she's got like a real choke fetish kink <laughs> there, seems it seems. To. She seems to. But Fernando, I mean, he looks over his shoulder, presumably at the camera. He's looking at the camera, but presumably he's looking at Miguel right. in that memory. And he's just got rage on his face, which, again, consistent with the Fernando that we've seen. He goes from very sullen and quiet to sullen and rage angry. Very effective use of Miguel. She's done. The fucking case is done. Why? Why, Caroline, does she put grace on the stand i don't know because she really even talks herself out of it in the conference room like she's like i can't put you on there i can't i can't put your ambivalence on display and then she's like what is your truth i can't track your truth i have no idea what your business is and so it's like she already gave herself all the reasons in the world to not put her on the stand why do you think she ultimately decided to just do it. Is it just because of Grace's insistence and the fact that, you know, Grace and Franklin hired her? I think there might be a little bit of it's Franklin's check that's, you know, being cashed here. But I think the show wants us to think anyway. It is Grace's emphatic, I'm going to say he can't do this. He's a healer. He's he's someone who couldn't do this. Just, I guess, sell. I mean, she certainly sells Jonathan. Jonathan is all toothy smile in that scene. But that's not Haley. Haley is not someone swayed by words. Remember the test. Remember the mm-hmm. test she put she put um, Jonathan through when she was first looking at the at the case. The conversation that she and Grace had about putting Grace on the stand early on, and Grace is like, "I'm not fucking going on the stand. Are you insane?" Haley doesn't forget about that. It makes no sense. Plus, she doesn't prep her at all. That's the entirety of their conversation. You don't put any witness on a stand, especially when it's so close, like you say. You don't put anyone on the stand, any of your own witnesses on the you can't you can obviously you can't prep the other side's witness beforehand. Like she couldn't have prepped Miguel. That had to be done on the fly as a prosecution witness. But this is someone you're putting on the stand. You don't put them on the stand without prepping them. You you just don't because again, 
lawyers only ask questions or they try very hard to only ask questions that they already know the answers to. You don't know all of the answers to. Haley looks shocked when the 911 tape gets played. How do you not have that tape? How do you not know it's Grace saying she's terrified? That alone, because that's catnip for a jury to hear, and the prosecution clearly is going to play that. You don't put Grace on the stand alone because of that, I'm terrified, he's here, I'm terrified for me and my son. That discounts her from going on there. No, There's no words that can, there's no words you can say on the stand, I think, that are going to override the effect of a 911 call in the moment. Right, because it's such a snapshot of, you know, being there at the murder scene or how she was feeling in that exact second. And so, yeah, she can't yeah. twist that when she's right. on the stand. It's like, it is what it is. And right. you're right. Like, how in the world does Haley not recognize that a 911 call would be played if you put Grace on the stand? Right, and she and it's not that it would be played. She looks surprised that that call sounds the way it does. The Haley Fitzgerald that we have known through the series knows that call. It, the Haley Fitzgerald who knows the shopping habits, the Amazon and Facebook habits of the jury members, knows about the fucking 911 call on this murder case where Jonathan, her client, already looks super, super guilty. She knows the 911 call. Also, I don't believe that she hasn't at some point over the three months that this is going on, because we hear the three-month marker uh, today. Jonathan tells us it's been three months that she hasn't got into Jonathan's family's past. Because even even for the possibility of, well, let's talk about your family because maybe they would be good character witnesses here. Well, it has to come up. Here's the thing. Remember, it did. When they had that, that prison interview conversation, she's like, tell me about some different things. Tell me about who can come. Remember? Oh, they yes, wouldn't want to come and they, didn't, right. they wouldn't have the money she to do it. She doesn't probe that? I mean, yeah. How is she looking so shocked? Now, I will agree that the shock seemed to maybe come from the word estranged. That's a pretty big word, as opposed to just saying, we're not very close with them. We don't really hang out with them. And kind of how Jonathan says, you know, they wouldn't have the inclination to help out or whatever, you know, and they don't and they don't have the money anyway. So there's like that part that it's sort of been explained away, but it was never said, no, there was an incident. There was a much bigger reason for all this. Right. You're right, though. Why wouldn't that have been probed? Like, why are y'all not friends no, anymore? <laughs> I think I think there are plenty of attorneys, maybe even the Badger, who don't probe that, who are who could be good but aren't so far afield thinking, so wide vision thinking. Haley Fitzgerald is this cutting edge, very expensive, high power attorney for a reason. Mm-hmm. We have watched her decimate witness after witness. There's not one witness that she that the prosecution has put on the stand that she has not made look foolish or unreliable. I cannot accept that she would walk into, even if you let the family thing go. And that is a devastating, that is a devastating conversation. And the hearsay rules aside and all that, we'll get into that a little bit more in the next episode where we have time to really kind of flesh it out. But the hearsay and all of that, the conversation alone, just the idea that this man is also connected previously to the death of someone else who also happens to be his four-year-old sister is damning, whatever the circumstances are. Death follows Jonathan Frazier now. That's all the jury's hearing. Death follows him. Haley Fitzgerald's going to know that. Yeah. Certainly she's going to know about the 911 call. That was, I, I mean, my I, I hurt myself rolling my <laughs> eyes that the, she, she, she gives Jonathan this look. Now, the one thing I want to ask you about is maybe the thing Haley does best or the best thing she says to Jonathan is the comment about the hammer, why he might have lost grace. What did you think of, of her reaction to, it's not me that lost this case or fucked this up. It's you, Jonathan. Oh, my God. Well, I, I think he fucked it up over and over and over again. I mean, yes, she points at the hammer, but don't start blaming your son, you freaking idiot. Like, I mean, what are you doing? She knows their son didn't do it. Like, you're just twisting in the wind. And everything he was doing in this entire episode was just, it was like manic, just unraveling, dissolving into a puddle of goo here. He was just losing his mind. Without losing any of the narcissism. Which, dead on. I mean, his grandiosity and his self-importance, all the things that Grace ends up talking to about him on the stand, is all true. His arrogance. You said it best about what Haley should have said instead of, 
you're the stupid son of a bitch that didn't get rid of the hammer. Stupid, it wasn't the right word. What word did you use that Haley should have used? To oh, God, it? that he was just the most arrogant man on the friggin' earth. I mean, he really is. He really didn't think he would be caught if he just placed a paper bag in the bricks at the beach house, you know. Well, which asks the, begs the question, why didn't he get rid of the hammer? What possible reason could you think of that he doesn't get rid of the hammer? He is somebody who doesn't think he needs to go through the trouble of getting rid of it. Because who's going to suspect him? Why him? He didn't do anything. I mean, he, we see him maybe cleaning his tuxedo. He didn't even yeah. get rid of his tuxedo. Motherfucker no. can afford another tuxedo. Right. No, it's no problem. So I just don't, I don't even think it occurred to him that he would need to go through such lengths to get rid of a bloody suit or the or the murder weapon. Why? Right. I, I, I agree. I think there's definitely a touch of arrogance there. But I also, it occurred to me uh, a little bit later on that maybe it was just another trophy of Elena. You know, because we, we had seen that his pockets were filled with little trophies, right? We had seen previously uh, the scarf and the perfume. So maybe the murder weapon in a macabre way was just another trophy of his time with her. Let's take a little segue there. You know, when you said roll your eyes, um, I was thinking back to the moments that I was rolling my eyes in this episode. And one of it was when Grace says, I'm a reliable narrator. Oh, my God. That was as targeted to us, right? Oh, my God. I felt like they had been listening to the podcast (laughs) and listening to everyone in their living rooms being like, this woman is not a reliable narrator. They had forced our hand on this, though, that she was not a reliable narrator. It was not a stretch for us to say, this woman has these bizarro, we can't even call them flashbacks. We can't tell if they're memories or if she's just projecting stuff or what is she even doing? So talk about unreliable narrator for Haley to then answer answer that whole like I don't know what your truth is I can't track it all this business oh my god I felt like they were just looking right into our eyeballs during that whole thing my eyes were rolling everywhere it was just a mess and then and then still put her on the stand yes okay even if you think you know what she's gonna say based on the questions that you ask what do you possibly think the prosecution is gonna do you think they're just not like Miguel they're just not going to ask any questions no no, no. And by the way, Grace, you are not a reliable narrator because let's say there's a plausible reason for all of the things that we've seen in your head, whether they are memories or they are imaginings. You're using your strong mind to imagine how things might have been, which it, it's looking more and more like that's what it was mostly. It wasn't actually memories. It was more what she thinks maybe it looked like. We know for sure you lied about the amount of contact and knowledge of Elena that you had because you never tell the cops about the gym encounters. And we know that that happened because we saw that happen in real time. To say nothing of the multiple then additional flashbacks or memories or whatever you had with her in your time in there. We saw you have an interaction with her in the gym the day after the fundraising meeting. Which doesn't come out. So you are a liar. You are not a reliable narrator, at least to some extent. And if you're lying about that, then what else are you lying about? I think that the arrogance uh, label gets to be applied to Grace as well. Because the entire way she plays her testimony, mm-hmm. this entire scheme she cooks up with Sylvia, at the end of the day, is born out of this arrogance that she can trick and manipulate this entire situation with no consequences. That she is just going to walk out of there smirking and Jonathan's not going to retaliate. There's not going to be any big fallout that she's going to have to deal with. She just thinks that she just can do this and nothing's going to happen. Not unlike Elena and her whole, you're not going to leave me. Like, I got you. You're never going to leave me. And then total freak out on Jonathan's part. Like, there is this level of not getting the consequences, not getting the fallout of your actions not understanding that play who across Jonathan, all of them. Not understanding who Jonathan really is. Yes. Right? Which, I mean, this was an interesting conversation with Stamper. As, as calculated and as scripted as that cross-examination is between Stamper, DA Stamper, and Grace, one thing that comes up that is real, that I think Grace is guilty of, is the confirmation bias concept. The idea that we saw her counseling her her female clients on early in the series, the idea of you seeing what you want to see to prove the thing you want to prove and not necessarily seeing the way things actually are. Grace is definitely, I think, guilty of this. Maybe much further, as we've suggested, she might be even more deluded than the show seems to be saying she is. But to a certain degree, 
she is living under a confirmation bias. You know, the book that this show is named on is You Should Have Known, based on the book that Grace, the character, is writing and is about to publish when all this happens in the book is called You Should Have Known. And the entire thing is women get into bad marriages because they don't see the man they're actually marrying. They see a version of the man that they want to see and that's who they think they're marrying. And that leads to problems on the road. I, I think Grace is very much guilty of this. So I thought it was an interesting actual little bit of nugget of truth in that series of questions as definitely relates to Grace, but then Grace obviously has her whole other agenda that she puts into motion. But it's interesting uh, uh, what you're saying about the lack of consequences. El Elena thinks that she can push and push Jonathan, not really understanding who Jonathan is. Right. I mean, he does... Or, or he what does... her status is in this whole hierarchy of people. She thinks she can keep saying, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna play around with your wife, and I'm going to go out with your tea. kids, and, and we're going to do all this stuff together. Like, just not having a sense of who she is and where right. she plays into this whole game. Additionally, I think when you were just saying the whole part about Grace doesn't really see it for what it is, again, not recognizing that you need to keep an eye on your kid the next day after this, that you need to keep a tight rein. That house needs to be locked down. You need to look over your shoulder. Jonathan's a free man in the world, and you just did him wrong. What do you think is going to happen? Right. You think he's just going to go to bed? Like, what do you think is going to happen? When Grace and Franklin walk into the courtroom the next morning, to say nothing of the fact of when he she leaves, she she does her Beyonce drop the mic yes. you know, moment and walks out, and Franklin, I love you so much, Grace. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Vomitous. And, 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 then, and then Sylvia runs up to her, oh, oh Grace. Uh, Vomitous. But the next morning, they walk in, and they're so fucking smug looking, and they're so triumphant in their thing. You left Henry alone. Who was getting Henry to school? You Why assume is there no confirmation? Is, how can you assume, Jonathan, who you are now saying is this monster? Who is this monster? And you just publicly humiliated. Right. You, I mean, you probably, oh my right. God. Not, you publicly humiliated, and you basically probably cemented his guilty conviction. Right. But Which, yeah. in this case, would be life imprisonment or even worse. I mean, think of what you just did. Is just yeah. all I'm saying. Like, yeah. what did you just do? And yeah. I'm fine with the idea that you thought you needed to be a little tricky. But here's the thing, Mike, that I cannot understand. She felt the need to feed this information through Sylvia and try to weave this tricky, tricky little game, only to have the very next day's newscast say, well, obviously she fed the information to the prosecution. Right. Pretty transparent. Tricked nobody. Right. Right. I mean, there will be consequences for that. Haley's not going to take that laying down. No matter whatever version, twisted, weird version of Haley the show has constructed in this episode, Haley is not going to just accept what Grace did behind their back screwing them. She will bring the full brunt of her law firm down to bear on that. Because I think it'll be a matter of professional pride. I Beyond so the check that that she's catching from Franklin uh, as a matter of professional pride I can't imagine Haley taking that lying down and being nor and being taken, should she nor should she why I mean think about that too Mike I mean she played Haley a woman who has done right. nothing but try to listen to what Grace wants and follow you know their their guidance I mean she said are you sure you want him to be found innocent because then he's going to be out in the world are you sure? I mean, she like really asked Grace, and Grace is like, "Absolutely, do your business, make him, make him be innocent," right. and then embarrasses Haley as well. Yeah, yeah, God. I, crazy, crazy. I mean, it has to be a, a moment, a, a professional low for Haley, having gone through that. As devastating as it is to Jonathan, obviously. Obviously, it fucks the whole case, and, right, yes. and rightfully so, as we learned. Jonathan is guilty. Like, let's not let's not lose sight of the fact that Jonathan is guilty of this thing. So, in the end, there's a there is an argument to be made that Grace is justified in doing what she's doing. It does it this way versus bringing up the murder hammer because she doesn't want to implicate Henry, which Henry has the exact take on it that you would expect Henry to take on it. Mom sniped Dad. Henry gets. What the commentators are saying on the news that she did that on purpose. She like she intentionally put herself in a position to set him up so that he goes. And then it's Franklin who is saying to him, "Well, she did that to protect you because then it would be no more weird and it would be and it would be hello juvenile hall." 
I don't think Henry gives a fuck as much about Reardon as Franklin seems to care <laughs> about Reardon. True. You know, but Henry he doesn't wants, want to go to juvie, so. Sure, but he'd much rather his dad not be found guilty. Well, there's well maybe a, again, to the end. There's a theme of, I don't understand the consequences of my actions. Yes. Franklin included in all of this. Right. You know, he is not nearly as diabolical in this episode as we thought he was going to reveal to no. me. In the end, he's kind of a toothless old man. But at the same time, they're still saying things like that. Why are you going to a little boy saying, oh, you're not going to go to school anymore. You're going to go to jail. What are you doing, old man? What are you doing, the things you right. say to people? Right. Oh, it's out of control. Yeah, I mean, yes. His smugness with with winning over Jonathan, right? He finally beats Jonathan because he gets Grace to do what he wants. When he has that, he looks like a sad, pathetic man in the rain, and even his mm. eyebrows are, are buckling. They're even limping. They, they're buckling down, <laughs> and she hugs him and says, I'll fix this, I'll fix this. And I think she had already made her decision by that point to do what she would do, but that's where she kind of announces that she's going to go do something, right? And then she has that silent walk with Sylvia, where she clearly she feeds Sylvia all this yeah. information, then Sylvia sets it up that she runs into Stamper, and Stamper, she feeds all the information to Stamper, who then uses all that ammunition back on Grace, impeaching Grace, yeah, catching Grace in bald lies on the stand. They're just a little too smug by half, to the point that you're so concerned about Henry, yet you don't take any steps to ensure that Jonathan, Jonathan has a license. Jonathan has a car. Jonathan is free. free. Jonathan was not asked to surrender his passport. How do you forget all of that when you do this? Anybody who is ever going to do someone wrong, I would think, would have a moment to be like, have I secured my own shit? Whatever that is, right. so that they, when they take their vengeance on me, I'm positive that I can protect my interests over here. Right. How? I mean, that's like just 101 on, on, on creating some chaos like this. Right, because again, this is, not, this is also not a Jonathan that they know that Grace no longer thinks is innocent. This is a Jonathan that Grace now believes is guilty that required a two dishwashing of a, of a hammer to get the blood and gore off of it. Yes. And you're going to poke that bear. You're going to poke Humili- that bear, which is fine. Him. You feel, you're, which is fine. And again, we find out he's guilty, so maybe she's justifying that. But you got to lock up your shit. Yes. you got to have security guards standing and watching over your kid. You've got enough money that you have a private helicopter to fly you to fucking north of Albany. Yeah. You need some security guards watching your kid or assuring them that he's getting to school the next day. Dumb. Dumb, 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 <laughs> dumb, dumb. Let's take that as a transition to Jonathan. Because I think we watch him fall apart this entire episode. When he gets to the you point... Think? When we get to the <laughs> when he's to the point where he's even now sniping at Henry as as pointing fingers at anyone possible except for him because no one no one bit on Fernando being the guy <laughs> was... and and Miguel's maybe his son his other son Miguel oh is uh, is a little too much. We finally see Jonathan break in this episode. He breaks in the courtroom when he stands up, which is such a great courtroom TV thing to do. Like Most of what you've heard in these last ten minutes are like, what, what a what, dumb thing to yell. What a dumb thing to yell. <laughs> what a dumb thing to yell. And honestly, what was a lie? I, yeah. Most of that stuff was not a lie, Jonathan. I thought it was, it was really, really kind of funny when you think about it, because he didn't stand up and say, liar. He was like, some of those things were not exactly right. You're right. like, why did you stand up and yell that little flaccid little comment like right. sit down i was wearing blue sneakers when i bashed her brains and exactly yeah so, so weird I, and, and and it's funny because so he has this moment where he starts to crack with with blaming henry and i think that's where he loses grace in a way and i think it was where he really starts to kind of lose henry though i think he gets him back but then he obviously loses him for good i think at the end yeah kidnappings will do that sure because i think grace shoots herself in the foot with henry by taking Jonathan down, which, again, kids don't always understand that parents do things maybe for their own good that kids don't understand. And I totally buy that. Can I ask you, why don't you think they twisted it into letting Sylvia take the stand? Why would Grace put herself to be the one that takes him down and stand there so broadly, like take it right in the chest? She could have had a conversation with Sylvia that Sylvia could go to the prosecutor and say, I have information about this case and I think you should put me on the stand. And Sylvia could have related the entire conversation without it being grace. Now, I understand the impact on the jury. I totally get it that, you know, it's much worse to have this gotcha kind of thing and to make it look like all this stuff. Although I got to think even the jury was like, ooh, that seemed completely uh, manipulated, you know, right. for our audience here. 
is it just too many people far removed? Because, I mean, obviously, we have a lot of questions about Grace relaying a phone conversation, but now this so, would be a person relaying a person relaying a phone conversation. She may have been able to get some of the stuff if they put Sylvia on the stand. Some of that stuff maybe gets to come in there, but none of the conversation between Grace and her mom can come in there because the judge was overruling the hearsay objection that Haley kept making and doing some of the best sitting down abruptly I've ever seen on television. <laughs> I mean, ha- she's like, yeah. roof. <laughs> yes, Haley's sitting down deserves an Emmy for yes. its uh, for its physical uh, nature. The objection is getting overruled because the of the exception to the hearsay rule of a declaration against interest. The idea being that we can reliably we can rely on what you're saying. Because it's against your interest to be saying it. So if you're saying it, it seems more likely than not to be true because it doesn't help you. It, it makes you look a liar. And the idea here being that it, it is impeaching Grace's earlier statements. Now, I'd have to look into the case law on the hearsay rule. I don't I haven't dealt with the hearsay exception since law school. But I don't know if you can take the that exception of declaration against interest so far as they do in the trial. But that being said it's still plausible because Grace is the one having the conversation with the mother and then relating it. Sylvia relating... It's too far because it's not a declaration against Sylvia's interest. It doesn't make Sylvia look like... It's not against Sylvia's interest to relate this conversation. It's, It's the same as if you hear the couple in Pulp Fiction planning their robbery and you get on the stand, like, that's not a declaration against your interest. You're just relating a conversation and you can't do that. Okay. Um, it has to be the direct knowledge of the thing. But also, I think it doesn't have the same impact. I don't think the jury is going to be swayed by the best friend kind of thing versus the spouse. That is the reason why spouses are not obligated to testify against their spouses because it's so damning. The intrusion into the relationship between a husband and wife is so dramatic. The courts protect that, that a husband and wife should not have to keep things from each other and so they won't be compelled to testify against each other. That's why that exists, because it is so damning. If you're going to hear a spouse, a wife, get on there and be like, yeah, he is a sociopath, and his mother told me he's... Like, that's really fucking damning. <laughs> right. It's really, really damning. Right. So, I, you know, I think I think the threads that are, are, are ripping apart in this episode on Jonathan's psyche finally snap. And, and he grooms and lures Henry to this breakfast. Oh, my God. Tell me what your thoughts are while Jonathan's driving and begins singing the kid song while replaying the memory of the fucking, the leaving, the murder while doing the kid song. It was beyond unnerving, if you will, Mike. It unnerved you? It really did unnerve me. The, and the song was so odd because I never have heard it. I understand it's a kid's song, but it was like that whole part where it was like, have no fear. These are your peepers and all that stuff. The have no fear in a kid's song seems so out of place. And then to like layer that on, of course, with singing while also having memories of bashing someone's face in. Holy shit. This guy has lost his mind. I absolutely felt like they were going to get bashed by that truck, but no, Mike, they were just trying to get to this bridge. This was all theater from Jonathan's point. Jonathan had an end game here. Jonathan had a dramatic jump from the bridge from this once important bridge now obsolete. Yes. There was theater here. The metaphor of the it meta- all. Yeah, and I think that's how Jonathan sees himself. He sees himself as one big fucking metaphor. When he screamed, "My legacy!" Right. Oh my god. That yeah. is a man Lost his marbles way back. So I think the the whole thing with the truck is he needs to get around the truck because he needs to get to his bridge. Because if he stops through the truck, the cops are going to overwhelm him before he can move again. Even if he has given up on and revealed himself to not even really care about Henry, right? He's so narcissistic. He's so far gone, so sociopathic, that he never actually loved Elena as he had professed to us so convincingly all series long. He doesn't really maybe care about Henry, who was by far his most important relationship as established by the show, that he's willing to put him at risk this way. But maybe he would say that he knew what he was doing and wasn't actually putting him at risk. I imagine that's what Jonathan would say. But still, he does. He does put him at risk, but it's so important to him that he gets to this established endpoint in his head that it has to be on this bridge. It has to be a dramatic jumping while my son cries for me. If Grace makes it there, all the better. The smile he gives. Oh my god. When he turns and see Grace when he turns and sees Grace running to them, 
screaming the slow-mo shot that it was the trailer shot that everyone was losing their minds with for a week the smile that jonathan has is it's theater complete it is exact it is the best possible outcome for how he saw this the only thing that didn't go his way was he really thought grace would be so moved by his attempted suicide or air quotes attempted suicide right in his theater the theater of his mind that she would embrace him that once again she, he would call to her because we've seen him do it in this series since he's been out on bail call to her and say come here come here let me hug you like the, his, or come his, on over let's have sex right and, right right and she comes to him in the park she mm -hmm. comes let come here let me make it feel better let me hug you come over to her let's you know booty call you right all of that and then and then she walks up but then he doesn't even get henry and he's and he oh doesn't scream God. like this is like this is not how his play is supposed to end but I can't imagine how he thought his play was going to end, though. I understand the embrace, the three-person embrace on the on the bridge, and then what? Like you, you get knocked down on the ground with well, like a net, and they take you away. Like, well, maybe he's he's oh re my God. he's resigned maybe to the fact that he's going to lose the trial now, right? That's the snapping. Is the the final nail in his psyche is that he can't see a way through because. Uh, remember Haley in the courtroom says well you know, we're going to do the we're going to you know mistrial, uh, motion for the mistrial and he's like no you already tried that and the judge shut you down his he's avenues are, his avenues are closed so the only avenue that lets him have a win here is that after my dramatic attempted suicide on this obsolete bridge that I still have in my family they still come to me when I call mm. that's a win for him still that even through all of this they still come to me when I call for someone who is so narcissistic, so arrogant. That's a win yeah. for him to take. It's the best possible outcome for him to get, and he doesn't even get that. That's the kind of sadly, it's not. He's not going. He's not going to ruminate on the murder right, very right, right, much, right. but he's going to ruminate on the fact that in the end they didn't come to him when he beckoned. I do want to say that I am relieved that they showed us the murder as yes. gruesome as it was. And it was gruesome. Yeah. It, and it did 100% reveal how he did not love her. And the way that he touched her body and stuff just generally, even before the fighting really starts, mm. was gross. Like, there was nothing about it that was even erotic loving anything no. there wasn't it was all it wasn't sexy like we had it, thought it would be no it, it wasn't sexy the way grace imagined it would there be there you go where he's taking it from my which is yes. which is what we had accepted as truth mm -hmm. we had we had been groomed by grace's brain yeah. to accept the the passionate taking her from behind in the bed in the studio as yeah. the truth of it it wasn't. It was aggressive. He was hands on the neck. It was hands, her hands on his neck. It was about, his hands on her his, his fingers in the mouth. No, the fingers in the mouth, though, that wasn't even sexy. It was like when you're purchasing a horse and you need to look at their yeah. teeth. It was gross. Right. It was so just manhandling her in the worst way. It wasn't ways. love. No, it, it was it, not it, sexy it, either. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't love. It was just fucking a piece of meat. That's how yes. he treats her. The actual hammering her 11 times, and I counted, with, and considering she was... It was two to drop her on the floor, two on the floor, and she's dead. And then it's so it's another seven strikes of anger at her just because gruesome. But for me, the real thing that made me squinch was when he's slamming her head into the wall. Oh my God. And then throws yes. the keys at her. That was very disturbing for me. Yes. Because that goes on. That goes on in relationships. You hear about battered women who don't get killed but are battered women who escape relationships, those are the kinds of incidences that they're living through. He put my head through a wall four times. Oh, my God. Devastating, because that was a violence that we hadn't seen from him. Up until that point, it was still, she was the real love of my life. Yeah, right? yeah. All of the air drains out of the room in that scene. It, it's almost like the, the hammering her with a, with a hammer is like an afterthought. He's not going to kill her. Right? She comes at him with the hammer. And then that's what really sends him over the edge. Do you think that there was any possibility that self-defense was even going to come into play? Think about what he actually showed. I mean, he could have claimed she came at me with the hammer. Not with 11 strikes. 11 is the problem. <laughs> 11. Right. When he closed her eyes, Mike, he knew she was dead. Yeah. And he, he checks just her pulse. pulps which, out her face. Which is so funny. Now, watching how the murder actually goes, it's not funny. But watching how the murder goes, and on the stand when Stamper is cross-examining him, he says, well, I knew she was dead. You did know she was dead. You closed her eyes. You checked her pulse, confirmed she was dead, closed her eyes, and then continued to whack her another seven, eight times. 
it, Whoa. It, yeah, that was disturbing beyond belief. But glad that the show didn't just say, well, draw your own conclusion on who did it. I yeah. did not want that ending. I was glad for that for this finale, but I'm really excited about coming back in our next episode and going back to some of these questions and a lot of these theories and trying to figure out, did the show do us wrong or right. did we take it too far? If there's a frustration with how the series shook out, where does the frustration lie? Was it that we were just too excited with the possibilities? And by we, we mean all audiences yes, for this. Yes, the people watching the show, because we are in the Facebook groups. We are on Twitter with the hashtag. We're following the show. We're interacting with the fans everywhere here. We're seeing all of the Headmaster did it. We are seeing all of the <laughs> Sylvia did it. We are seeing Franklin did it. At some point, I mean, we certainly thought Franklin was involved. We saw, or certainly thought Sylvia was more involved. There are so many facets that were laid out for us so many possible avenues so i think it's worth the examination of what did the show show us and just tantalize us with that then we took off and our own which would be on us right or we just had fun with it then we just right. kind of spun our own tails versus what the show actually showed us i'm thinking of franklin standing outside the outside the apartment watching fernando and the baby that's that is taking us down a road where the show is telling us this is important you need to be watching this guy that's not on us. That's us taking the information given to us. And I think that's worth the examination of it. And I think there's also still a lot of unanswered questions here about these people that maybe is worth a season two. And we don't know how the trial goes out. And now there's a kidnapping charge probably also. Yes. An obstruction of justice charge. A, a skipping bail charge. So there's more to Jonathan's trial and maybe appeal that we haven't seen here. There's definitely stuff for a season two, and I think that's worth a conversation. I'm so looking forward to talking about this again because this series has really grabbed our attention and has audiences just completely swirling right now that we want to keep talking about it. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Do We Unnerve You? The Undoing Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Do We Unnerve You? on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you've enjoyed coverage of The Undoing, we'll be covering Your Honor next. And you guys, if this one grabbed your attention, this will absolutely keep you glued to your set. This is Brian Cranston on Showtime, and ooh, it's a good one. Do We Unnerve You? The Undoing Podcast is a Pod Clubhouse original production, recorded, produced, and edited at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information on Pod Clubhouse, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com or on social media at Pod Clubhouse.